Today I wish to speak to you about Catholic marriage. It is something that I was deeply involved with all my life as a priest. In my 21 years working as a parish priest, I performed more than 1,500 marriages. I have a large box at home full of photographs of couples that I married and when I look through them I see expressions of joy on their faces and expectation and I'm seen sometimes congratulating them and with an expectation myself that what I was doing was going to be successful. It was very hard for me when even as a priest I saw some of the marriages I did earlier completely break up and I saw great misery, infidelity and other real problems in marriages that I had performed. It was greatly distressing because I was always trying to prepare couples well for marriage. In my last parish, it was called Sangragande, in Trinidad, I decided I was going to make an extra special effort to prepare marriages so that they could really be based on scripture, on the rock that Christ spoke about in Matthew 7, that the house built upon rock would be secure. I was trying to build it on scripture as I began to study scripture in my last 14 years as a priest and I was intent that marriages were going to be based on a rock the rock of the truth of the word of God and I got very interested in Chuck Gallagher's marriage encounter it's a marriage movement that is now worldwide those of you who are Catholic would remember it well marriage encounter movement and I got so intent that priests were allowed to attend the weekends with the couples. I even went to a marriage encounter weekend to see how the sessions were and what the emphasis was. I had the handbook and I went to all the different talks and the sessions where couples were trained to communicate with one another, to share feelings how they felt about different aspects of marriage and to how they would train them in the lifeblood, they said, of marriage, which was communicating one with another. So this was the emphasis that was put on the marriage encounter program. Engaged encounter was an offshoot for marriage encounter that was to prepare Couples. So I got the manuals for Engaged Encounter and I ran four sessions, four talks in Engaged Encounters that I insisted every couple come to these four sessions before I would perform your marriage. I was the only parish priest in the whole area so you had to do it if you wanted to be married. So I was insisting 
that this be done because I was hoping that couples would learn. It was then, again, based on communication that you were learning the lifeblood of marriage was how you explain things to one another and particularly how you explained your feelings one to another. And so we majored in that, in the feelings of couples and expressing those feelings, sometimes highly emotional uh, expression of feelings that people would explain one to another. I was progressing and sometimes I would think that we had a particularly good couple. But there was one couple I thought was exceptional. They were always able to explain to each other greatly how they felt and how they felt down to details. Like, what would you feel like if, if uh, I used the same towel as you after a shower? This, this sort of thing. Down, down to small things, you know. Can the same towel be on your body and my body? You know, down to details, but this couple seemed to have it. And so it was, it was about eight months after the marriage, I inquired of them. I said, how are the ten and ten going? That was the language, ten minutes uh, every day with each other, whereby they'd sit down and one would explain for ten minutes their feelings and communicate, and the other would explain ten minutes theirs. And it was called ten and ten. And... They said, our communication is going great and we feel great about each other and we have decided to have an open marriage. And I was scared to ask them because I thought I knew the answer already. What is an open marriage? And they said, well, in communicating with each other, we have both decided that our feelings would be best expressed if we allowed each other to have other sexual partners once once we communicated it one to another. And I said, God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's the commandment of God. He said, we have learned from marriage encounter and an engaged encounter that lifeblood is the, is the essential of marriage. And we're happy to disagreement and we're happy to put into practice what we learned. And I was heartbroken and particularly my heart got broken even more as one of the leaders, he was one of the men who helped me train couples and led sessions for marriage encounter and engage encounter. One of our main leaders in the parish, also a parish minister, he was caught in adultery and I corrected him. It was reported to me, it wasn't generally no, but I went to his home and I confronted him on his adultery. And he said, well, I have a position in a worldwide organization here on a national level and I'm happy with my position and who are you to criticize me? So, uh, I was not able to do anything about that man and his position in marriage encounter. And this sort of thing was rocking my faith because I so wanted to have couples that were well trained and that they were they were really going to be built on the rock because I love to preach at the wedding ceremony about the couple whose marriage was based upon the rock but it didn't seem to be it seemed to be sinking sand when I looked around and 
saw what was happening. So it was quite difficult and it's quite painful to remember because I still have the photographs and I still know what happened and, you know, I still am very conscious of how I was involved in their lives and it just did not work out. It was, it was really, really heartbreaking when you're close to people and trying in this most blessed institution that God has given from the very beginning of creation and you're trying to help people have a better marriage and you find that it is just falling apart and that you have misery and infidelity and all types of um, sinful behavior where you try to make good marriages. Now, the Catholic Church uses marriage and it is very much a part of their program to grow as a church. And I think we've got to see some of the exact teaching of the Catholic Church so they can understand the Catholic mindset on marriage. The Catholic Church is emphatic that legislation, law, the law regarding marriage is her law over all matrimony of baptized people. And I'm quoting from Pope Leo XIII, one of the famous Roman Catholic popes, who said the following, When Christ therefore renewed marriage and raised it to such a great sacramental excellence, he gave and confided to the church the entire legislation in the matter. So the Pope claims the power to regulate what marriage is about, what makes it valid or legal, when it can be dissolved and declared null, and what the laws are if a Catholic is to marry a non-Catholic person and on and on, that they have supreme legislation over marriage and the marriage bed, what involves in uh, contraception and other things, activities within marriage. So, the Catholic Church claims these laws. The Catholic Church states this in its present-day canon law, where it says, marriage cases of the baptized belong to the ecclesiastical judge by proper right. That is the celibate, ecclesiastical prelate who is acting as a judge. So marriage cases belong to him by right. It is his right and his uh, privilege to have marriage cases belonging to him. And in the official dogma of the Catholic Church, it's normally known by the word Densinger, that's the shorthand for the book called The Sources of Catholic Dogma, number 969, the Catholic Church says officially the following, 
Christ Jesus, institutor and perfecter of the venerable sacraments, merited for us by his passion. The Apostle Paul intimates this when he says, Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and delivered himself up for it. Directly adding, this is a great sacrament, but I speak in Christ and in the church. It is typical of the Catholic official teaching misusing and twisting scripture. Where the word of God says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The mystery is concerning Christ and the church. Catholic Church has twisted this to say that marriage itself is a sacrament and I speak in Christ and in the church. So it is a twisting of the words of scripture. Why? So that they can claim it's a sacrament and if it's a sacrament, one of their seven sacraments, then they have power and control and authority over all marriages of baptized people. And so it is all based on a twisting of one verse in Scripture, Ephesians 5.32, where the theme of Ephesians 5, going back to verse 23, we're told that Christ is the head of the church. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ, who is the head of the church and gave himself for her. So Paul is centering in on Christ. And so when he comes to the climax, he says it is a great mystery of Christ and the church. He's showing that Christ breathes life. He is united with the church, his people. But the Catholic Church mistranslates the Greek word for mystery and says it's a sacrament. That was because of the mistranslation by Jerome, the famous father of the church, who translated it as sacramentum in his Latin Vulgate Bible. And so from that mistranslation we have millions upon millions upon millions of people worldwide who come under Catholic authority in their marriages. And she claims that she has this authority and she is so bold as to put a curse to eternal damnation, which is the meaning of anathema, on anybody who says it is not a sacrament. You say it's a creation ordinance, solely set up by God from creation, from Adam and Eve, and that you think that this goes back to the Garden of Eden as a creation ordinance for all people, including Christians, you are eternally cursed. Read the exact words from Sources of Catholic Dogma 971. If anyone says that matrimony is not truly 
and properly one of the seven sacraments of the evangelical law instituted by Christ the Lord, but that it has been invented by men in the church and does not confer grace, let him be anathema, as eternally cursed. If it is not a church sacrament, you don't believe that, you're eternally cursed. And that's how strong is the teaching of the Catholic Church. And before we get into seeing some of the other laws, particularly the laws about mixed marriage of a Catholic and a non-Catholic, we've got to sort of refresh ourselves and go a little bit into Scripture. What does God say about marriage? You know, let us be refreshed and find out what does the word say about marriage, the authority of God in his written word in the Bible. The Eternal Father honors marriage, and in his word he proclaims that in the fullness of time, God sent his son made of a woman, honoring marriage, and marriage in particular of Joseph and Mary. So the honoring of marriage by the Father. Christ Jesus the Son honors marriage by his presence at the, at the marriage feast of Cana of Galilee and his first miracle is performed there and he approves and shows his full approval of marriage as a creation ordinance. He approves of it fully. And the Holy Spirit further approves of marriage in that same text we have from Ephesians 5. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. It is likened unto the union of Christ and the church. The book of Revelation Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Our final union with God in heaven is compared to a marriage supper where the Lamb takes his bride to himself, the church, the people of God. And so it is really wonderful to see marriage, a creation ordinance set up from God, by God, from the very beginning of the book of Genesis. For God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, and he blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. The very beginning of the book of Genesis. That is our God. And the authority is... For, from God and for all people. And Christian people have marriages just like people who are not Christian because it's from God's hand from the very beginning for all humankind. And there's no particular marriage with a set, set of particular laws by a particular institution that can declare a marriage to be null and void or to retroactively make a marriage that never was a marriage. This is unknown in the pages of Scripture. So, 
it is a it is a creation ordinance and why is it why is it what we read there from Genesis where God made marriage at the beginning to multiply it's for procreation so that children could be born and it is also Paul says to avoid fornication to avoid fornication that every man have his own wife and that every woman have her own husband to avoid immorality fornication everyone should have their own wife and all women women should have their own husbands and then also a very real reason in the words of scripture it is not good that man be alone I will make a helpmeet for him to avoid loneliness how wonderful it is to come to a home I remember I had spent 22 years as a priest going into a home where there was nobody there my socks were beside the bed in the same place the dishes were still in the sink <laughs> and it was all the same as I left it but most of all there was no warmth and presence there was nobody waiting for me when I returned it was empty of any human fellowship and it is very very lonely I know from being a man who lived alone most of my life is very very lonely and God says it's not good that man should dwell alone so we have the creation ordinance the Catholic Church has a different type of view on marriage of whom they call Christians anybody who is baptized and they have exact laws regarding mixed marriage if a Catholic marries somebody who is a Bible believer or is of some religion like maybe a Jew or some, something else or a Muslim they have particular laws a mixed marriage is where the person claims to be Christian is not Catholic. But the, the, and there are particular laws for that and particular laws if it is actually different religion altogether where they say no basis in Christianity. But the ones to do it, mixed marriage, whereas another, they say, Christian body but not the Catholic Church, which they say is the church. They have laws, and the first law is 1124 of present-day canon law. Without express permission of the competent authority, a marriage is prohibited between two baptized persons, one of whom is baptized in the Catholic Church and received into it after baptism. So if one person was baptized as Catholic and is marrying a Christian who has been baptized in some other church they are not to marry it's prohibited now, how do they get rid of their prohib prohibition they have a further law the following number 25 1125 the ordinary the local ordinary that is the bishop can grant a permission of this kind if there is a just and reasonable cause he is not to grant it unless the following conditions have been fulfilled the Catholic party is declared that he or she is prepared to remove 
dangers of defecting from the faith and to make a sincere promise to do all in his or her power so that all offspring are baptized and brought up in the Catholic Church. The other party is to be informed at an appropriate time about the promises which the Catholic party is to make in such a way that he is certain that he or she is aware of the promise and obligation of the Catholic party. So all children must be brought up in the Catholic Church for 21 years, I insisted on. Never was there an exception. There could never be an, an exception. The papers had got to be signed whereby all children of the Union of Catholic and any other Christian will be brought up as Catholic children and baptized as Catholic babies. So um, this is what I insist on. This still is the law and it is unbending. This is the Catholic way of increasing and multiplying in membership. It is the biggest way in which the Catholic Church grows. That they grow with their own um, Catholics having many children and of course then children of mixed marriages all being brought up as Catholics. It is successful and it continue, continually adds to the role of the Catholic Church. Christ Jesus told us how his church grows is by preaching the gospel and is not by law or regulation. It is by the preaching of the gospel. Now the particular law of the Catholic Church where she really shows her power and control is that of annulment. The Catholic Church claims that she has power over marriage. Again, why? Because it's a sacrament. Canon 1055, a valid matrimony con contract cannot exist between the baptized without it being in fact a sacrament. Because of that idea that it is a sacrament, a great sacrament, it is under her control. And so the hierarchy works out what she will do so that all marriages are within her recognition and that ones that are not, she can declare to be null and void. If you were a Catholic and got married outside the Catholic Church, your marriage, while it may have been sincere and your marriage vows real, the Catholic Church does not look upon it as, as valid. It's only a matter of time if the Catholic party wants to get an annulment because the Catholic Church looks upon it as no marriage because it was not done before a priest and two witnesses, which they call the form, the actual ceremony as it must be carried out. And so the Catholic Church is very emphatic that marriages must take place according to their rules, which is before a priest and two witnesses. In recent days, it has come to that ordained Catholic deacons can also do marriages. That is just very recent law with the huge shortage of priests. But it's still Catholic law that it's no marriage unless it's before a priest or a, an ordained deacon in the Catholic Church. And then... 
there are annulments, even if it did take place before a priest and they were two witnesses, there can be an annulment. The marriage can be declared null and void. It never was. Now, a quick look at scripture. Basically, in scripture, there are four passages about divorce. Four main statements the Lord said. Two of these reflect total opposition to divorce, whereas two passages give acceptance of divorce on grounds of adultery. If there is fornication, then there can be a separation in divorce between a man and a woman. That is the biblical regulation. The Catholic Church says they say they do not have any divorce, but what they do is much worse than divorce. It is all the same as divorce in actual fact is that the couple completely separate and completely are legally apart, but the Catholic Church declares that the marriage never was. It never existed. It is annulled as if it never existed. And so we have many Catholics who have the anomaly or the the mind-boggling thing that they have children whom they can see and talk to and um, they find that they never were married. You know, so it's a, it's a mind-boggling thing that you know, your, the Catholic Church has declared that your marriage never was. You have a little bit of proof that it was but there's no, uh, that's not the Catholic law. It's what they say. So the... Um, they talk about legally uh, the way things are. They have manufactured, ter- manufactured terms. A diriment impediment is a impediment that completely wipes out the legality of a marriage. And a diriment impediment can be that the form was not right, it wasn't before a priest and two witnesses, or that there was lack of consent and then they have psychiatry, psychology and everything to see how much the person really understood what they were getting into. And they get into that, the celibate judges, to see how people really understood what marriage was about. And if they do not find that the consent was uh, sufficiently uh, consentful, or whatever you put it, wasn't sufficiently impacted that they didn't fully know what they were doing 100%, well then they can declare the marriage to be null and void. Now, they have ways of solving this and I apologize for the intricate language. You know, the Pharisees had their own language whereby they had rules and regulations handed down to the people underneath them and it is no match for the Catholic language. So if this is difficult language, abide with me because this is what Catholic people, ordinary, same intelligence as yourself, are told. Uh, an example of this is what they call radical sanation. We talked about in Latin, sanation reduce. That's sanation. You, you heal the thing in the root. You go back to the root to heal it. And I'm quoting from law number 1161 of the laws of the Catholic Church. A radical sanation of an invalid marriage is its convalidation without the renewal of consent, 
which is granted by the competent authority and entails the dispensation from an impediment, if there is one, and from canonical, canonical form, if it was not observed, and the retroactive, uh, retroactivity of canonical effects. Now, a lot of words. So, they have this power to go back in time retroactively and to go back and heal, that's a sanation, the fact that it wasn't done correctly or that things were not right at the beginning. They have a competent power. This is in their power to do it. And they do it. They do radical sanations if you will pay the time and the money to have this done. A radical... um, (laughs) Um, a radical um, sanation of your marriage. Convalidation is another word they use, and this is in paragraph 1161. Convalidation occurs at the moment of the granting of the favor. Retroactivity, however, is to be understood to the extent to the moment of the celebration of the marriage, unless other provision is expressly made. So, convalidation and retroactivity are difference, so be sure you know the difference. Um, um, The church talks about sanation, that even if the couple, say we have a couple in front of you and the couple's marriage is to be healed, it's to be sanated. The Catholic Church wants this marriage that was never a true marriage and now has got to be sanated. It can be sanated even if they don't know what's happening. So this is uh, Canon 1164 quotation. Sanation can be granted validly even if either or both of the parties do not know of it. <laughs> even if they don't know. Man, it can, be, it can happen. Uh, nevertheless, it is not to be granted except for a grave cause. You're not to do that sort of thing unless you have a really serious reason. And so, how, how does this all power come about? This is in Canon 1165 of the Laws of the Catholic Church. Quotation, the apostolic see can grant a radical summation. It's because of the apostolic see the one who calls himself the Holy Father and the Vicar of Christ sitting in the temple of God, calling himself God. He is the one who has the power. And so, Christ Jesus authenticated, as we know, the book of Genesis, where he said, a man should leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. That's how it is. Pure and simple. A man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two shall become one. What we have in Catholicism is Phariseeism gone wild. But it is a question of control and money and a complete disregard for the reverence of marriage vows. When a Husband promises to be faithful forever to his wife or the wife to her husband. That is sacred before God as an institution that God made from the beginning for all mankind. It is sacred and there's no power that can annul 
or do radical sanations, men who are supposed to be celibate going around in their gowns declaring which marriages can be sanated and which ones are to be annulled. This is Phariseeism gone wild. Now, I'd like you to look, if you're on a computer sometime, at the Society of St. Paul, the 10th, that's in Roman numerals, on Canonical Commission. It's a web page on the internet because it gives statistics. It says they're quite interesting of these annulments. He said, it says on this Catholic web page, in 1968 there was a total of in the U.S. of 338 annulments. That's in 1968. In 1992, there were none less than 59,030 annulments. Another interesting figure is that the total number of annulments in the Catholic Church worldwide in 1992 was 76,286. And this means that if we get the total number, which was 59,030, it means that 75% of all marriages worldwide are in the U.S. Why is that? Why is it that they can get them completely called no marriage in the U.S. and the U.S. only makes up for 5% of the Catholic population, but 75% of, of the, um, of the annulments. Why is that? It is really sad. That is the answer, because of money. If you go on the internet too, you can find Holy Name of Mary Parish, New York. And they give the procedure if you're to apply for a nomination. It's interesting, you can get it online. You get your, the, the petitioner's package is, is given and you have to fill out your name and address and then you've got to give a biography and then it states that you have to be two witnesses and then you have to have an evaluation by a psychological or psychiatric expert and all pertinent documents. There um, are different respondents and you will never really have to face your former spouse. Uh, The petitioner is to understand at some point he or she must make a personal appearance before the tribunal for a formal hearing on their oath. This I'm reading exactly from the um, parish in New York. And um, then it says, forward everything to Mount Kisco office of the tribunal with a deposit of $350 made payable to the Archdiocese of New York. Please inform the parishioner, I beg your pardon, the petitioner, that at the time of the formal hearing, the remaining balance is due, $650. Enclosed in this package and the petitioner's package is a statement of understanding about the expenses of the case. So, this is um, annulment, uh, American style, and you can get the petition online and see how it's done in that particular parish in New York. 
Christ Jesus said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and that their great exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so with you. People taking dominion over people and people taking dominion over the most intimate, wonderful institution that God has made marriage and declaring what can be and what may not be and charging money for it. Now, it's not only that, but you may expect America, things have got to be done quickly. And so you can go online and you can find under Lucky Cat Systems the Fresh Pond 24-hour annulment service. And um, I'm quoting from the webpage. If you want to go online yourself and see what I'm reading, it's uh, www.24hourannulment.com. Easy to remember. So I'm quoting from this webpage. And it's under Lucky Cat Systems. Um, It says, quotation, We know people think of ending a marriage. The first method that comes to mind is divorce. However, annulments are an alternative. Annulment differs conceptually from a divorce in that a divorce terminates the legal status, whereas an annulment establishes that a marriage status never existed. Fresh Pond 24-hour annulment service makes the annulment procedure simple and fast. The procedure of obtaining annulment is similar to the procedure of obtaining a divorce. Our service takes three weeks from the time we receive your completed forms until you have the official annulment decree in your hand and there is only one fee to be paid. The procedure for a 24-hour annulment upon receipt of payment will be ready, uh, will be ready, filled out forms below. An information sheet will ask for the names of the parties, date and place of marriage, custody of children if applicable, a credit card authorization form. If the fee is paid by a personal check, we must wait until the check is cleared. The completed forms are to be sent by mail or email or fax. The annulment is granted by the Mexican court on the next business day. This is the Catholic Church dealing for the 24-hour, this type of um, fast annulment by getting bishops in Mexico to do it and then Uh, sending the decrees back and having them translated here in the States. So um, it is quite interesting because it's really heartbreaking. Quotation about the costs. The cost for the 24-hour annulment for a two-party unilateral annulment is 1,200. Additional services, two-party divorce, 1,095. Collateral, one-party divorce, 1,095. Marriage by proxy, $500 with no appearance of either party. A California judge certification as uh, to the translation of the divorce or annulment decree 
$150, express service 150 And you can read it yourself, www.24hourannulment.com. That is really sad. But that's why we have more annulments in the United States, because we have this uh, system online by which a person can be beguiled into the fact that they can get a quick marriage. The Lord talks about things in his word without money and without price, just like our salvation all things to do with the Lord are without money and without price. And marriage as made by God is sacred and beautiful without money and without price. And it is blessed by the Lord God without money and without price. It is really heartbreaking because we can get Marriages that really were marriages, where vows had been taken sincerely before God, declared to be null and void. And then this, one of those people who was really married, getting married to somebody else, and be blessed by their church. And this is called a marriage, because they went through the Catholic legal system. And it's really a blessed whoredom. And some of them are terribly unhappy as you might expect but it's all according to Catholic law it would break your heart in pieces but this is how the Catholic Church contains has control over marriage and the marriage bed I am not getting into the rules about how they specify about um, birth control and other things that is a whole story in itself but they go on and on and on the celibate bishops and priests in their power over marriage and what they declare is marriage and what they declare is not marriage. It is, it is extremely painful and it makes you want to reach out to Catholics and say, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Come into the gospel of Christ Jesus. Know that the truth will set you free. And come where your marriage will be recognized once you have promised yourself one to another before a civil magistrate or before anybody recognized by the law of, of any state here in the United States of America. Come to where you will be supported in your marriage and your children will be welcome and we will teach you the word of God and we will love you and you will know that Christ loves his body, the church and in that way we expect that you will love one another with a sacrificial love like unto Christ loving us, his church. And this is the message that you wish to speak and look into the eyes of precious Kathy, the people, and say, yes, our God has given a beautiful, wonderful institution for all peoples. And we pray that you will 
see that you are not under rules and regulations of prelates and bishops and archbishops and the Roman Curia and the rota of the Curia which is a particular part dealing with marriages or with any bishop or annulments in any Catholic nation of the world. The word of God is beautiful because it explains that at the very end as I intimated earlier on that we have a marriage the marriage of the Lamb let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride had made herself ready the bride of Christ has made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints the bride of Christ stands spotless why? because it is not their own righteousness inner righteousness they are clothed with the righteousness of Christ like Paul enthusiastically says in Romans 3.22 but now the righteousness of God is manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God which is by faith upon all them that believe it rests on you your garments are white and clean like Isaiah you could say you rejoice because of the garment of salvation it is the garment of Christ's righteousness. And that's why we look forward to the greatest marriage that there is to be. The marriage feast of the Lamb. Where there is an invitation. Amen. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is at thirst, come. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely grace of God is free absolutely free it is not any effort of yours or any money of yours it is not any sacrifice of yours it is just admitting the truth that you are like me born a sinner and that you've had personal sin and that you need that sin forgiven it's free it was paid for through the redemption that, that is in Christ Jesus. He paid every per particle in his perfect obedience and his perfect sacrifice. Now the question is, where do you stand regarding the marriage feast of the Lamb? Are you going to be welcomed to that final great marriage where we as the bride of Christ are united to Christ face to face in the glory of the exaltation to know God as he is and to have fellowship with Father, Son and Spirit intimately are you going to be there at that great marriage feast of the Lamb are you clothed with his garments? And I say this to precious Catholic people, to you listening that 
It is the hour, now is the hour, the hour of salvation, that you look to him and say, I need, I need this clothing, I need the righteousness of Christ clean and pure upon me. Of myself I'll never be pure and holy within my own heart. I need a righteousness that is given to me. And he gives pardon for sin and exquisite, wonderful righteousness of Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. No, knew no sin, Christ Jesus was perfect, spotless Lamb of God. How could it be said that he was made sin. In what way could we ever say that Christ was made sin? Legally. The Father looked upon him as sin. On the cross, Christ said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the wrath of God, the hatred of God for sin, came down upon his person. He legally took the place of believers. Are you a believer? Are you ready for the marriage feast of the Lamb? It is to say, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I am dead in trespass and sin. Yes, I can do nothing. Yes, I want to be at the marriage feast of the Lamb. Come and drink freely of the water of life. It is just a wonderful invitation given at the very end of the last book of the Bible. And it is beautiful because it is a reality. And when you experience it, you know and you know that you know. And the Spirit testifies to your spirit that you are a child of God. And you cry out, Abba, Father. And you know that you're going to that final marriage whereby there will be rejoicing and joy for all eternity and the joy unspeakable and full of glory of seeing God on fellowship with believers, some of whom you knew here in this church and some of whom you never knew and that you'd be willing to run into their arms as we have resurrected bodies. How wonderful it will be the marriage feast of the Lamb. That is the final, ultimate reality of marriage that was instituted from the Garden of Eden. And that is my desire for you, that you are equipped and that you are ready for that marriage feast. I ask sincerely that you reach out to Catholic people with the message of the truth that sets you free. And to you, Catholic person looking, I know this is hard for you. I've spoken some hard realities, but I ask that you stay with me. I have known the same pain in seeing marriages that were under law and obligation, and I have seen the misery in so many families. And I wish joy for you in your life and in Christ Jesus. 
So come to him and know everlasting life. And that your praise may be to the King eternal, now and forevermore. And so we praise him in the glory of his name. May the Lord Jesus Christ be worshipped and honoured in all praise and all worship, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Praise God and thank you. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.